welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Bruce Edwards. Low-income developing countries have markedly different economies than higher-income countries. Senegal, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Nicaragua, to name a few, make up a group of countries whose economies typically rely more on agriculture and foreign aid. Poverty and infant mortality rates are high, education levels low, and generally have inadequate or failing infrastructure. As of last fall, the IMF is closely tracking the economies of 60 such countries in an annual report entitled Macroeconomic Developments in Low-Income Developing Countries. More than half the countries are in sub-Saharan Africa, and collectively they account for around one-fifth of the world's population, more than a billion people. But despite their challenges, many of these countries have recorded strong economic growth in recent years even through the global financial crisis in 2008. But the IMF says their current fiscal positions and debt management capacity could make them vulnerable. I discussed the report with two economists, one who helped prepare the report. My name is Chris Lane. I work at the International Monetary Fund, and I head up a group of staff who deal with policy and strategy relating to low-income countries. And the other, whose research focuses on macroeconomics in Africa. My name is Amadou Si, and I am a, a senior fellow at the Africa Growth Initiative at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. I began by asking Chris Lane, why now? Why the focus on these low-income countries? We've always had a very strong focus in the fund on our low-income country members, but we felt that uh, our global publications perhaps don't really reflect the full weight uh, of the importance of these countries to our work, and we felt that it was time that we raised the the profile of our work on low-income countries. Um, And so one of the ways that we can do this, we felt, was to uh, review what's going on, what are the challenges, and... and, uh, Uh, What are the opportunities going forward for these countries? And so what was the uh, criteria used to to select the member countries in the the group? Basically, uh, income, income per capita, income per person. And we we chose all countries that have income below about $2,500 per year. Uh, This is about 60 countries. one additional factor is that they're not usually viewed as emerging markets, and emerging markets are countries that rely on commercial finance uh, for their uh, financing needs. So they're more aid-dependent, they tend to be more agricultural, they have high levels of uh, uh, informal in, informal workers in, in the workforce. So these are some of the, the characteristics. Perhaps the easiest way is to call them the bottom billion. This is one, just over a billion people with lowest per capita income in the world. One thing I like about this report is that it disaggregates um, low-income countries into different groupings. So, you know, it's sometimes it's very easy um, to focus on averages and to lose perspective uh, and this is a this is a very useful uh, 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 reminder that not all African countries are the same, not all low-income countries are the same, and so there is interest on low-income countries, 
the the interesting thing is that it has shifted from a focus on aid, conflicts, um, um, diseases to the drivers of growth uh, for these countries because they are growing rapidly. And most of these economies uh, fared well throughout the global financial crisis, and uh, I think most of that is attributed to the the minimal links with the, the world economy. Um, does this report uh, encourage these economies to uh, venture out into um, like frontier markets, for, for example? And does it acknowledge the risk involved in doing that? It's a very good question. Um, I think it's fair to say that these so-called frontier economies um, are already out there looking for finance to uh, support their investment programs, to build infrastructure, ports, railways, power plants. Um, and the market conditions at the moment are, are good for that. Clearly, and as we say in the report, this comes with some risks. Uh, but we we are not alarmist in this, but we point to the some of the risks and a balanced approach uh, along with good policies would um, greatly mitigate uh, potential risks that are, that are out there. This is a very interesting question because Africa is getting increasingly uh, globalized through China. Trade with China has increased. Foreign direct investment with China has increased. So the linkages, you know, with China, uh, between China and Africa, have, have, have really increased very rapidly over the past 10, 15 years. So now when we're looking at Africa's growth, it's interesting to separate, you know, uh, what is driven by domestic fundamentals from what is driven by the rest of the world. So, I mean, definitely, uh, this, is, this is a very, very interesting question. So uh, the report points out a concern with rising uh, public debt. Um, is the IMF still encouraging public spending in the form of um, the infrastructure investment, for example, regardless of, of the, the risks associated with the uh, the rising public debt? So you're right. We have a, a, about a third of the report looks at debt. And we looked at debt because about more than half of low-income developing countries have received debt relief from the international community over the past decade. So we wanted to see what use did countries make of the space, the breathing space that they were given by the international community in the form of debt relief. What did it really deliver? And it's a really hard question um, to answer because you don't quite know what they would have delivered without the debt relief. But it really zeroes in on, well, how, how, what's the quality of the health and education spending? What's the quality of the sort of infrastructure that's, that's financed? And it, it's, a very, uh, it's a very hard question to answer. And the evidence is mixed. Um, in general, um, they have managed to increase spending. They have managed to boost investment, especially the most recent recipients of, of debt relief. Um, but at the same time, there are a few cases where we are somewhat concerned that um, the space has been used more to boost current spending, some of it good in health and education, um, but also, for example, to... Uh, uh, pump up uh, public employment and wage bills that ultimately uh, uh, cannot be sustained. This sort of rate of growth cannot be sustained over the over the medium term. So, to answer your question, 
We do encourage countries to scale up their investments. That was part of the purpose of debt relief, uh, whilst at the same time keeping a good eye on uh, developments in their domestic and, and their external debt. So even with the uh, continuing strong growth, and which in this report it's indicated that the, the growth will remain fairly strong, um, it seems that uh, you know most of the vast majority of the people that live in these 60 countries, they still live in, in poverty. There's a lot of people that are still poor. Why do you think that is? I think the key question is how do we manage to grow faster and on a sustained way, and as you say, have also this growth be inclusive and be shared by, um, you know, the, the the poorest in these countries, um, you know. Uh, but we need to grow faster because uh, even in terms of poverty, uh, we are coming from so far, you know. I mean, we're coming from so far that we need to grow faster to to push uh, a large share of the population out of extreme poverty. The one thing I would like to stress from the report is that although the overall picture is a very good one, that low-income countries are putting in a very good performance and the best performance in uh, most people's lifetime, um, there's still a handful of countries, 10, 12, perhaps a dozen, that haven't seen any growth since in, in the new millennium, zero, zero um, over, over a 15-year period. For some, this is a result of natural disasters, like Haiti, for example. Um, for others, it's a result of political instability and conflict. Yemen, for example, would be a, a, a good uh, illustration. Um, but for others, it's, it's, it's uh, also poor policies that have really held back uh, investment and growth. So we are upbeat about the group as a whole of the 60 countries, but we should not forget that there are still some that are being held back by external factors or homegrown challenges. And that was Chris Lane and Amadoussi talking about the new annual report on low-income developing countries published by the IMF. You can read the full report at imf.org. And if you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, go to soundcloud.com slash imf-podcasts. Dash